Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. Today is Monday, April 25th, 2022. So today I wanted to uh, kind of reinforce uh, a, a few notions and kind of point out a few things that are happening in the news. I did want to play uh, the interview of Lieutenant Colonel Carla Weiss, um, who's a longtime friend of mine, that actually filed her lawsuit against um, the Air Force. But unfortunately, Frank TV doesn't have it up yet uh, for streaming because it was streamed live today. So for those of you that caught it, that's great. Um, so once it's up, I will play that. But having said that, I wanted to introduce you to someone, um, you know, who was very outspoken, so outspoken that he even went to Oprah Winfrey to like battle it out um, for for Christ and for faith, which is um, interesting and different because not a lot of people um, do that from an audience. So the reason I say this is because um, Father Pavlos, but he was Metropolitan Pavlos as well. Um, well, not at the time when I knew him, but... Um, he was uh, an incredible man. He, 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 <laughs> I got some nice spanking on the hand from him. He and Bishop Paul, Bishop Pavlos, uh, from the church that I, uh, went to were very good friends and uh, they looked incredibly alike. Um, he had an unexpected stroke, uh, it, uh, years back after he was installed, um, you know, with Chrysostom. Both of them, see, both of these big church leaders that didn't sugarcoat things and were standing firm against the unification of churches and wish to acknowledge independence of even Christianity uh, got sick. <laughs> Very bizarrely, all of them did. But um, he, his name was Tratilla. Um, he went by our commandrate. Um, um, Pavlos. Uh, he was actually the grand grand nephew of the Metropolitan Petros. And he was elected as the Metropolitan, meaning overseeing all of the Orthodox Church of North and South America. And at that point, um, 
uh, Christodoulos, which there are literal prayers about this guy, right? Um, became um, it, like he actually went and assisted him. And uh, back in 2006, he had like this unexpected stroke and was completely terminated. Like he was incapacitated completely, right? And the Archbishop Chrysostom of Athens, um, who anyone who knows anything about orthodoxy uh, knows that that was one of the uh, the most outspoken church leaders to go back to basics uh, in in. Christian history since uh, the Bibles were all edited. <laughs> and anyway, um, I still call him Father Pavlos, but whatever. Metropolitan Pavlos was then put back on in 2007 after he got better from his stroke, um, but then he retired in 2013. And it seems that he retired more so because he was forced out. Uh, the head of churches had changed by then. And, you know, it is what it is. But why did he come to mind? Because I had asked him when I was younger, I was telling him, you know, I'm not in school today and it's, and it's Monday and all the kids are in school and I'm sitting here telling him it's bright week. Like, what does that even mean? You know, I don't know why we do it. We did the whole thing. We did the Easter and that is Monday like for us to like feel better after we ate a lot after Easter Sunday. Like these were legit questions I had. I said to him, tell me the point. I get it from the prayer what it is. And you know what he explained to me? He said the day after Easter where he had risen, right? The day of Easter Sunday is called, uh, the service is called agapi, which means love. It's a service of love. And um, he had said to me, don't you understand that we are responsible to keep bright week alive at least until midweek? I mean, we don't want kids going to school till Wednesday because we want them to know that the reason that they're out of school and they're having fun is because they're learning about Christ and they're learning and, and entering into this era, right, of when the church of Christ actually was created. And I said, yeah, but there was no building, right? What do you mean? And he goes, silly, just because you're in a church right now, right? Because I grew up in the church. Like I, I, I say this and people are like, yeah, whatever. No, no, you go down to that church, any priest and nun that has been there for, you know, for as long as I've been alive, which most of them are, they know me by first name, right? It's not like I'm just saying stuff. Right. I, the last time I was in New York and I took my youngest there, uh, one of the eldest nuns, uh, you know, almost had a stroke right there because she saw her and thought it was me, but I was around the corner. <laughs> so I want you guys to understand it's amazing because Bright Monday, which is today, is to remember the beginning of Christianity and why it had been done. And to know that he he wants to wrap himself around us and that, you know, he wants you to find him and that he's not the one hiding, but you're actually the one hiding, right? You're not finding him because your eyes can't see him and your ears can't hear him. And so um, this is this is how he came to mind. And you know what was so bizarre? I have never played this clip. There was a, a show in um, on Oprah and it was in 1998 
and Father, well, at the time, Metropolitan Pavlos, um, he actually appeared on the show. Um, he was originally scheduled to sit on the panel, but he was late because, you know, he was flying in or whatever. And um, though um, he wanted to articulate the orthodox position, um, you know, regarding the, the film, The Last Temptation of Christ. And this is where he kind of put all these other Christian leaders in their place because they were, what they were trying to say was that Jesus was a sinner. Now, in fact, Jesus was always tempted. He was always tempted. The devil would tempt anyone. You're here free reign, right? You're tempted. And, um, but the, the difference between us and Christ is that we are not Christ and we suffer uh, through the temptations because we do sin. Now, this would then go back to what is considered sin. Would it not be considered sin? I, I ask these questions and, you know, a lot of people find it hard to ask hard questions or they get some vanilla answer from whoever. That's when you know you're in the wrong spiritual guidance. You know, th th that's the gauge for me that if you ask questions and they give you some vanilla response, like, oh, Jesus is like, you know, no. Satan, Hail Marys. It's like, stop. Like, I just want like real responses. I would ask these questions. And from all denominations, I would probe these questions to the imams who considered Jesus a prophet, not the Messiah, but they considered him a prophet. And they acknowledge Jesus, right? Um, and talk about his story, right? So and they give you some vanilla answer, like, no, no, no. Well, I've asked really enlightened people in my life. I've been blessed to be, you know, bold enough to ask these questions. And what I asked was, well, what is a sin? Right? What is a sin? Because we hear all the time, right? And a sin is a thought, a bad thought. And a, a sin from what has been conveyed to me is having the thought of doing harm or something malicious or, or, or is what the problem is, right? That it's you, you, you think of it is it's a sin enough. Like if you're thinking of, you know, strangling someone and you're like Ali McBeal, I don't know whoever's old enough to remember that show where they like envision doing all these things. And then they're like, oh yeah, well I didn't act on it. I just thought of just thinking about it is also a sin. It's like the, 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 the intention behind your thoughts. There we go. And the intention behind your actions. And, um, I remember asking, um, um, Metropolitan Pavlos, who was at the church with another father Pavlos who became a bishop, right? Um, where he was scolding me for, you know, not, not doing things the right way, right? And the, the Metropolitan said to me, well, you know, why have you decided that, you know, you were going to put the chairs like this and, you know, not like that. And so I was like, what, now you're going to tell me it's a sin because it didn't organize them the right way. He goes, no, I, I, I'm, I'm not, but I can show you what a sin is based on this simple thing. And I was like, all right, I wanted to go outside and play. And, um, you know, I didn't want to put five chairs. I wanted to put three. 
because that was faster. And then I can make the boys put more chairs in back. So in the front, it's just three people. And then everybody else gets, you know, longer line because they can do it. I don't want to do it. He goes, all right. So your intention was that you wanted to go play, right? This is how he explained it to me. Your intention was that you wanted to go play and you didn't want to obey the order. And you have the right to not want to obey it because your desire was to go outside and you're a kid, right? this is how he said it, but your actual driving intention was to punish the boys because they had taken your toys before when you guys were out there playing volleyball and you um, said, well, let them do the work because they're going to come in second and then you can be outside playing while they already, they're doing most of the legwork and you knew that someone will come in, correct them and they'd add the extra two chairs in all the rows that you were supposed to do. And I was like, okay, so he's like, okay, so see, that's, that's what a sin is. The sin is, is that all, if you were just saying, oh, it's because I wanted to play outside, it would be like, oh, that's just a child. But you thought to yourself, if I do this, I can actually punish the boys for taking the volleyball before and not letting me play outside in the back. And this is where the problem is. Your intention of doing it, you say it was to go outside and play, which is legitimate, he goes, and it's, you know, totally benign right? It's the self-play, you're a child, but you also thought that you can punish someone else by doing it. And so the, the, the thing that he drove home was, you know, this is, this is what a sin is. And then I turned around and said, well, that's not true. Cause we learned in the stories that, you know, when Jesus saw that some guy was like super bad, you know, he would tell him off and he would put his foot down. He would yell. He would, he would say not so nicely things to people. He's like, wait a minute. Did he say those things because he wanted to make them put extra chairs or make them feel, uh, you know, to cause them harm? And and what was it? What was it that he spoke in that manner? And I was like, okay, well, he was angry. Was he righteously angry? Yeah, he was angry and he had the right. So did he sin by putting his foot down, by telling him that they shouldn't be doing this? Remember when he said, and this is what he said to me. Remember when he said to, I think he was Peter. He said, do you remember when the apostle said, why are you going to the tax collector? He's, we should make him pay for taking everyone's money. And then Jesus turned around and said, that's a sin. So you shouldn't be thinking of things of how to give retribution and pain. And this is why I'm a sinner. I feel sometimes like I'm Ally McBeal. I can play out scenarios and I could be, <laughs> you know, thinking all the weirdest things. Yeah, pay back this, pay back that in my mind. I will not act on it. And there are seldom times that I will find pleasure in my enemy's pain and I self-correct all the time. It's like instantaneous, haha. And then I'm like, oh. I shouldn't be doing that. Imagine that torture soul. Imagine what they're going through. Imagine what this, imagine what that. So causing harm to another, it drives on intention, right? It's on intention. Did you intend to cause harm? And this is why in crimes, when they examine them, they look at intention. But the thing, the argument here that I'm going to show you was that they were arguing that because Jesus was being tempted, that he was a sinner. I'm going to tell you what. There is not a day that goes by that I am not tempted. Not a day that goes by that I do not feel temptation and I want to just give in. I think all of us can agree with that, right? All of us can agree with that. But there's not, I don't respond to that temptation all the time. 
This is where we have that free will to act on the temptation. And the one thing that I found was the beginning of the erosion on a public scene and why we have issues with our Christian faith is that the misteaching that because Christ was tempted, he sinned, right? And that's not the case. We have to remember that he came down here and lived like a man in a humble job so that he can understand what it is to live, not observe, but actually live as a man and walk with man and through his teaching, show man the way to the kingdom. And this is, this is, this is it. How can someone be a sinner if they are tempted, they can't unless they actually act on the center. Think about it. So this is where it got hot and heavy on Oprah. And I wanted to show you this clip. It was, it was so, I was like, my gosh, I, and the thing is so weird. I was thinking about him and he pops up on my YouTube feed. I'm like, stop it. Stop it. All right, let's go. The sinner. Jesus says he is a sinner, a liar, that Lucifer is inside him. Jesus, while on the cross, begins to dream of making love to Mary Magdalene. Father John Vanahan is a Catholic priest who says that Catholics and people of other faiths can learn from this movie. Reverend Charles Bergstrom is consultant for the People for the American Way. He is a Lutheran minister who does support the movie. He says there is nothing blasphemous. Welcome all of my guests to the show. Father... Uh, here's Greek Orthodoxy now, and I think I, 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 have, I have something to say because Kazantzakis was Greek, I'm unfortunately. About well, he based himself on, on, on an unfortunate Greek. But what I, what I really don't understand is, um, what are we preaching here today? Nestorianism? Nestorius was the one that was saying the things that you're saying today, Father, right there, both of you. Oh, no. Oh, yes, no. definitely. No, 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 no. no. Yes, there is only one person in Christ. That's true. That one, one that one person in Christ. You're absolutely right. That one person cannot be internally tempted. The devil, the oh, devil dared to tempt Christ. How many natures in Christ? How many natures in Christ? There are two natures in Christ. There's you one sound like a historian. He said there's one and one. There, excuse me. There's excuse me. There's one hypostasis. There's one person right. in Christ. And how many feces? There are two feces That's in Christ. Right. And one one person. The person is the important part over here. The, the natures? The I mean, the divine nature is not a father. Please let me finish. All right. The devil, the devil, the devil dared to tempt Christ in the desert. Christ in himself, he was never tempted Amen. because he was the person of God. It's heresy what you're preaching. Now, the other thing is really, I don't understand why we've entered into a theological controversy over here. I really don't understand that. But we should stay over here as far as Christians are concerned. No one has the right to harass my faith. That's right. No one has the right to slander my faith. I demand Christians, Orthodox Christians, Catholic Christians, Protestant Christians, demand that their faith is respected. No one has the right to harass our faith. And that film harassed our faith. It slandered our Lord. As far as we're concerned, our Lord was never tempted in himself. The devil dared to tempt him. And so, see, I can actually say that I got a ruler hand spanking from that man, right? And this is it. They have been chipping away at every single denomination of Christian faith. 
And, and the Muslims are going through it too. Don't get me wrong. They have two major factions, right? The Jews are going through it too. And what they do is they start putting earwigs and allowing and the allowance of getting some things done so they can chip away. And this, and I know you're going to be like, what? This is the same thing that is happening to our nation, right? They've chipped away at the basic covenant of our nation, just like they've chipped away at the basis covenant of faith, which is love and purity, right? And this is incredible, you know, to, to, to see this. I, I mean, I couldn't believe this popped up on my feet. You know, when I tell you that I've been smacked with a ruler <laughs> on my hand by this man, I say it and I'm proud of it. You know, I've had great conversations with them. And he was the one that said, do not look down on another person's faith. When I'd be like, oh, they're just, you know, he's like, they have the same thing. They just see it differently. It's still love. It's still purity. And they should not be desecrated. Now, our nation and our perception, this is the era of deception is completely skewed. Now, this leads into that skewed mentality, right, that we have. You guys know I really respect Elon Musk. I simply um, love the drive that he shows and how he motivates people to move forward. Uh, For that, I'm very grateful. Though, every person that can see uh, a a little bit ahead on things. It gets drunk on that um, control. And so uh, for me, I, and I've, and I've stated this, I've seen on various social media platforms that are alternative to Twitter to try to recreate a period of time that they believed was a sweet pocket. The period of time where you had the Operation Gridlock in full force, right? Where you had people that were there. Right now, there are people salivating, hoping that they can get back on Twitter to feel the same feelings that had, that the high they had of look at me with all my followers. I'm getting retweeted. Let the president smash him with tweets. Let him do this. But you know what I noticed? That that is the problem. That is the sin itself, right? We have moved on from, I've told you to watch American gods, and we're going to analyze that to new gods. And see, the problem that we have is that there is a, a, a sickness, <laughs> a disease in every human being. And that is the innate need to identify who their grand leader is, who their God is, right? And it's not like that. And like Bright Monday says, God wants you to come to him. He's not hiding. He's right there. You just can't see him, right? And what we saw even with the importance of disclosure, on alternative platforms that was obviously thumped and obviously misused and obviously huh, created evil in the face and pretending and portraying their good, right? Like, for example, um, I mentioned this a million times. 
By no means am I saying that Austin Steinbart is cute. Okay, let's get this straight. Okay, I never said that. Ever. Anyone saying that is completely fake news. But what I did say is that that man was arrested and his rights were taken away. And what did we see? All these people that pretended that they were for America, one God, I'm so religious, the praying medic, my ass praying medic. To pray to who? You know it's not God because of the way you did it. And you didn't honor the fact that someone was being hurt. Truth hammer? What, that you went down there and you saw that poor guy being completely blindsided, regardless if you like him or not. And you said, you know, and, and that's what I saw. These people will poke holes just to be right. That's what demons do. It's like hyenas. They're like, ha, 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 I'm so excited. You know, this person failed, right? I saw a, a post on Telegram from Truth Hammer saying, oh, he didn't endorse her. That's that. How the fuck is he going to endorse me if the ballot for November is not out and none of the independent names are on it? What a loser. But that showed his true face. His true face is that of a demon. The demon that tells you all the nice things to lure you in and then shows their true colors at some point. Many will say it's just ego. I'm telling you it's demonic, right? This is how you classify those that can be tempted and may sin and those that are completely in the sin. This is completely in the sin. Completely. And I am faulty of it many times. I, I will not. I shall not. And if I do, I will correct myself and I will beg for forgiveness. Enjoy failures of another, no matter how much I don't like them. And I get that little temptation to do that, right? But... Mm, I have to stand fast because it's not right. It is not right. And right now, what we are seeing is the failure of President Trump's mojo. I saw it in the previous rally. I saw it in the Ohio rally, you know, with Dr. Oz, people just tuned out. And now it looks like a stage with people cheering and using signs of whoever he's promoting and people are tuning out. People that are actually awake are starting to tune out. And this was the reason that those people have surrounded him because like, like president Trump, and I saw this meme and I, and I shared it. I don't like to point out bad people. Right. And say, oh, he's bad. He's this. I like to spotlight them because then you can actually see it yourself. I'm not going to tell you who's bad, who's good, who's going to be ego driven, who's not, who's working for the people, who's working for themselves. You'll see it yourself. I cannot tell you that because that is no different than everybody else. You know, I took the weekend off for a bit. And, oh, man, was the devil in overdrive on Easter Sunday. My gosh, was he in overdrive. He stroked egos of, of people I know, uh, tempted them to get them excited and feeling empowered. Like, you know, ah, you know. And, and this is across the board, right? 
today I had a slew of, of emails and communications and I just, I just felt so overwhelmed and sad. Then I was like, my gosh, I've been praying like crazy. So you don't get infected and please tell me that I'm wrong. Right. Oh, geez. Please tell me that I'm wrong because he was busy. I chose to take time off and he was busy, but he wasn't that busy. Right. Because on Easter Sunday in Egypt, 41 people that were political prisoners for having thought, thought crimes, right? They committed thought crimes. Majority of them are Coptic Christians were let out. So, you know, I was, I was, like I said, the defeat is coming and this is it where people feel deflated. They feel that, you know, this is just a controlled show. It's no longer organic. Um, you know, lots of rhinos everywhere. People are seeing it. They're seeing the demons dancing and they're laughing and they're like, yeah, it doesn't feel like a Trump rally anymore. I don't see it. I saw it in the last one. And, 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 and while I, while I prayed, um, this afternoon and, and, and just sat there just, just thinking, I thought to myself, okay, it's not my lesson to learn, right? But this is good because it'll show the people just how much evil exists because they can see it. The last rally, (laughs) the amount of messages I got in just looking at the energy of the crowd, it felt so staged. Ohio is even worse, right? And as it's progressing, it's becoming worse. And people are starting to see it, that no longer is President Trump allowed to be himself. He needs to be focusing on things. And this is a good thing. I think him playing that role right now is very important because for some reason, from the disclosures of of alternative boards creating this massive hysteria, as if they're like waiting with their tongue sticking out for a drop was sickening. Seeing the people like that was sickening. Seeing the people on a high, and you know you did get high off of that, where you had 10,000 followers and people were retweeting. You're like, oh my gosh, I feel obligated to say something really smart right now, right? And everyone's doing, again, you know, that was disgusting. And this is what people are aching for. And then you see the camp that was aching for it. The OG of the PSYOPs that deployed it. We're talking the Pasobics. We're talking uh, that whole clique trying to push this in. Uh, we're, we're talking to him because he better buy it. And then it's like, so we go from the 1% elitists that have it, that share control, to the 0.01% elitist that nobody can tell him what to do because he shoots rockets in the skies and owns everybody's cars. And he wants to put chips in your brain. And it sounds totally, yup, that's legit. Oh, but he's going to be about freedom of speech. Okay, sure. Maybe he'll reinstate everyone's account that was banned. Maybe he'll be like, let's unlock all the accounts you locked. And everyone's like, holy shit, I got my account back with all my followers. Raw, you know, and they get so excited. And so, oh, and this is why. Well, as you guys know, live rumble was actually moving over to social servers. And we were, we were live when that happened. The accounts they migrated, right, actually went dead for a second. And again, I'm not saying not to trust Elon just because he has grand ideas. 
It doesn't mean that he's an evil person. He may be doing this because it's like the right thing. And I don't disagree with it. But, but again, 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 going back to time and considering that this realm is governed by time, right? This is the realm governed by time. Time tells you one thing, that it is hardly ever wrong. Hardly ever wrong. So uh, what was interesting is that uh, out of the people I didn't expect, this just went live and I want to play it for you. And I was kind of shocked to see it. And I was like, whoa, what just happened? So take a listen at this. Take four, roll it. In a lot of ways, it's kind of like a Fitbit in your skull with tiny wires. Hey, Elon, I see that you becoming a phenom. People putting faith in you like you someone to lean on. Know you were hoping this was one of those happy theme songs, but it's not. It's not something that seem right, but be wrong. But AI fight for free speech too. I paid everything on the line for it. How about you? You plan to buy Twitter? Okay. I hope that goes through because then there's no more memes. It's about what you could do when you restore everyone's accounts. I'm gonna show you Alex Jones, all of the people that believed in Cuba, now they gone. People bad for saying things that fact checker said was wrong, but ended up mainstream news. It was true all along. Hey, Elon, got a few questions and that's it. Can't be for free speech and have hate speech rules. You gotta pick. Are you still on the team of the least to have you switch? When you pitting first the people at AI, you gotta pick a hey, Elon. The people of AI, you gotta pick the Elon. Got a few questions and that's it, hey Elon. Is it the God of the world or you gon' pick the Elon? Hey. Hey, hey, Elon, I got some questions. Something ain't right. Used to wait for years to have you giving yourself over to Christ. You so socialist and just trying to gain fans on the right. Cause in the end, we gon' be the ones that's paying the price. Hey, Elon, what's up with Neuralink? Has anything changed? Are you still trying to pick chips up in everyone's brains? I know that health benefits as you so quick claim. But I heard you say it's the information we can obtain. Hey, Elon, it sound like great wonders to me. I righteously criticize you when people coming for me. I know you can change and that's what I wanted to be. But I'm not a type to agree with somebody just to agree. I sound like Antichrist, sound like Revelation 13, please explain to me how it's not exactly what it seems, and I'm willing to listen, Elon, I ain't trying to be mean, but it sounds like you trying to play like you the king of kings, you said that we should stop fighting AI and mix with it, and you said it on Joe Rogan podcast, it was explicit, I know, you think if we can beat them, then just get with it, I picked the people of America first, I might nick with it, it's just my concerns, I hope you understand, I see Christians leave God just to put their faith in man, they gon' say they God can use anybody for his plan, to justify why you so desperate to get the upper hand, Elon. Not personal, I just care about the people, A-Line Either a hero or the villain You good or you evil Whoa, that was heavy That was really heavy But it said a lot of things That a lot of people are thinking Is this okay? Again why would he want to buy Twitter? Twitter was going bankrupt. He paid top dollar for Twitter that nobody uses anymore. Nobody goes to anymore. And what? All for a show. So that way we can have the new I'm moving to Canada thing. Like I'm deleting the Twitter app. And it's like, yeah, move everyone along. Pull them in. See 
this is predictive analytics. They know what it is that the, 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 the to control a human being, all you have to do is tap their wants and their needs. And, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, have talked of betrayal. I've, I've talked of betrayal. And I know that, you know, I will at some point be completely crucified and not with nails the old school way. But see, that's how it always happens. Because people are about self-preservation and how they feel good. People are about themselves and not the greater good. They decide, well, I'll do some good because that's all I can do. And I'll stand on some principles, but if I have to walk on someone, I will do it anyway. Because my family comes first. My kids come first. That's the way people think. And so, betrayal. Many will say, why? I've had this question to me. You knew X, Y, Z. And I'm like, yeah. But that doesn't mean that I can't offer an opportunity for them to change their path. The, the the rule of thumb is is that you you show someone love, you embrace them, you give them honest, you know, interaction that they will be good. But it's at a point where people don't want to hear, right? They don't want to hear the truth. They get angry at you if you tell them. There are people that don't want to change because they find pleasure in corrupt antics, right? But the thing is, what we always have to do is try. Try and always see the potential in people to want to make them better. Try and always urge to take in, and if you can, if you are able to carry on your shoulders someone that is corrupt, morally bankrupt, and give them hope, give them love, show them the light. And if they decide to close the door, that's fine. And this is what we're seeing. People are closing the door because they are so used to the old gods, they're ready to migrate to the new gods. And that, my friends, is where we're going. So now we're going to see two videos. The first video shows you who the old gods are. I've told you this years ago. Hey, you should watch this show because it's very important. And it'll tell you a lot of things you may or may not want to see. But it is very important that you do because this is how you understand how the future pans out. So please take a listen to this. City here, the new TV series American Gods premieres on Stars on April 30th. It's based on the novel by Neil Gaiman. He wrote Stardust, Coraline, and the Sandman comic series. So who are the gods in American Gods? I'll break those down for you right now, but before I do, subscribe to our channel because you never want to miss any of our American Gods coverage. And it's coming this week, next week, the week after. American Gods tells the story of Shadow Moon a man who gets released from prison and finds himself in the middle of a battle between the old gods and the new gods. So who exactly are these old gods? I'll tell you, but first, be warned, because there are some slight spoilers ahead. First, we have Mr. Wednesday, played by Ian McShane. Wednesday is a mysterious and charismatic con man with plans to unite the old gods, to join him in the war against the new gods. He has the ability to travel backstage, a place behind the world of men. 
Mr. Wednesday explains the war in the book. Gods die, and when they truly die, they are unmourned and unremembered. Ideas are more difficult to kill than people, but they can be killed in the end. Secretly, Mr. Wednesday is Odin, the old Norse god of knowledge and wisdom, making him one hell of a con artist. Odin is a widely revered god in Germanic mythology, but most of what we know about him stems from Norse mythology. Odin is the head honcho, the all-father of the Nordic gods. He's also the father of Thor, the god of thunder. In Norse mythology, Odin has 18 charms or powers. Some of them seem fairly insignificant, like the ability to catch arrows and escape bonds, but most of them are pretty useful. He can heal, calm storms, render enemy weapons useless, provide magical protection for his allies, and make people have a change of heart. And yes, he can hook up with anyone he wants and can make them fall for him. In older English, Odin is named Woden, and Wednesday in English comes from Woden's Day, hence Mr. Wednesday. Chernabog is played by Peter Stormare. He is suspicious of Mr. Wednesday's motives and is reluctant to help him. Chernabog is one of the old gods, the Slavic god of darkness, whose name means black god. He is the counterpart to Bielabog, the god of light and sun. There has been much speculation about Chernabog, but not much has been said definitively. Christian historical sources interpret him as a dark, accursed god. It is said that Chernabog brings disaster and misfortune wherever he goes, and he does so without an agenda. He simply enjoys being evil. This description fits with how he acts in the novel as he killed cows with his hammer for a living after coming to America. Bilquis is played by actress Yatide Bidaki. In the book, she is the old goddess of love, who lives in the present as a prostitute, who devours men while having sex with them. In the heat of passion, she asks them to worship her and call her goddess. Pray to me like I'm your god, your goddess. Once they do, she becomes a literal man-eater. Their entire body disappears, and not into her mouth. Just right up in there. Yep, Bilquis is believed to be a jinn, a half-human, half-demon. In history, Bilquis is the Queen of Sheba, a biblical figure known for a legendary voyage to meet King Solomon and test his wisdom. There seems to be little connection between Bilquis and American gods and the Queen of Sheba, except that they share the same name. The Queen of Sheba was a woman of great wealth, beauty, and power, who was a seeker of truth and wisdom. In the show, Easter is played by a well-dressed Kristen Chenoweth. In the book, Easter has the power to resurrect the dead and heal wounds with a kiss. In Germanic mythology, Easter, or Estra, is the goddess of rebirth. Spring, dawn, and birth are all within her domain. Rabbits, eggs, and a spring festival are all theorized to come from early celebrations in her honor. Mr. Nancy is portrayed by Orlando Jones. Mr. Nancy is one of the old gods named Anansi, a trickster god originating from West Africa. He appears in two of Neil Gaiman's books, American Gods and Anansi Boys. In the book, Shadow sees Mr. Nancy both as a man and a spider. Mr. Nancy has the power of trickery and can travel backstage like Odin can. In his Ashanti story origins, Anansi was a trickster who stole the ability to have stories exist in the world from the sky god. All Anansi stories have a moral associated with them. What will we learn from him in American Gods? Demore Barnes plays Mr. Ibis, or Thoth, the ancient Egyptian god of writing, wisdom, and magic. The Greeks declared him the inventor of many sciences. In the book, Mr. Ibis is a funeral director in the world of the living, but in the world of the dead, he is a psychopomp, a being who travels freely from the world of the living to the world of the dead. You have died, Mrs. Vadil. And it is time for you to come with me. Mr. Jaquel is the pseudonym assumed by Anubis, the Egyptian god of the afterlife. He will be played by Chris Obi. In the book, he has the ability to transform into a dog, restore himself by consuming pieces of the dead, and judges people's souls in death by placing their heart on a scale opposite a feather. If their heart is heavier than a feather, their soul is eaten by Ahmet, the eater of, well, souls. He and Mr. Ibis run a funeral parlor together.
Be sure to come back for our American Gods reaction videos once that show starts up. And speaking of reaction videos, we have one for Fargo Season 3, Episodes 1 and 2. So those were the old gods. Now that you've seen the old gods and you understand old religion, old mythology, right? Now you should see what the new gods are. And maybe this will bring it into perspective. Take a listen. It's quite short, this one. Chastity here. American Gods has finally made its way to TV, kicking off with an amazing first episode. Last week, I told you all about the old gods, and now I'm here to tell you about the new ones. But before I do, please subscribe to GameSpot Universe, because you don't want to miss any of our American Gods videos. The premise of American Gods is that gods exist because people believe in them and give them power. As time has passed, the mythological gods of old are threatened with extinction as people have stopped worshipping them. New gods have since risen to power as reflections of America's obsessions with the likes of technology, the internet, media, celebrity, and money. With every day attached to social media and every celebrity scandal we get caught up in, we've made the new gods more powerful. Mr. Wednesday has plans to unite the old gods to take back their power and enlists Shadow Moon to help him. The new gods take notice and will do whatever it takes to make sure they stay in power. So who are these new gods? Let's take a look. Technical Boy is the god of technology. He is the personification of the internet, played by Bruce Langley on the new TV series. Technical Boy manifested as a god due to our modern obsession and dependence on technology and the internet. He is the youngest of the new gods, which is why he looks and acts like a teenager. In the novel, Technical Boy appears as a heavyset teen with bad acne. He's gotten a futuristic hipster makeover for the TV show, chilling in his VR limo, vaping synthetic toad skins all day long. He's accompanied by a bunch of faceless thugs that kind of look like droogs from A Clockwork Orange. He can also seemingly digitize them into reality. Technical Boy wants the old gods to die out and for the new gods to take over permanently. And according to co-creator Brian Fuller, Technical Boy will have a huge arc this first season. Could he be the main villain? Media is the new goddess of television, played by X-Files star Gillian Anderson. She is the personification of television, media, and celebrity. Media has the power to project herself onto any TV screen and can warp and change TV to look however she wants. In the novel, Media appears to shadow in TV screens as pop culture icons, such as Marilyn Monroe and Lucille Ball. A tweet from Brian Fuller shows an image teasing the many faces of Media, hinting an appearance as David Bowie as well. Her power lies in persuasion rather than strength. She is the public face and the mouthpiece of the new gods, who tries to recruit Shadow to fight on the side of the new gods. Mr. World is played by Crispin Glover. He is the leader of the New Gods and is the god of globalization. Mr. World is seemingly omniscient and keeps an eye on the Old Gods. He sees Mr. Wednesday and his plans to unite the Old Gods as an imminent threat. Mr. World is an interpretation of Loki, the Norse god of mischief and trickery. In the novel, a group of men known as the Black Hats work for Mr. World as part of a mysterious, unidentified agency tasked with hunting down Shadow. If you haven't already, be sure to check out our video on the old gods. And please, please keep watching GameSpot Universe for all of our coverage on American Gods, gods because, because we'll be. So that, in summary, my friends, is the show where um, it demonstrates to you the polarity and the shift. We can see that this is indeed true. The media is now your god of information. The internet is the playing ground, and it's still in its infancy stages, unknown how to control it. Unfortunately, you can't control something young. Very nicely depicted in the novels, but in the show as well. 
And then Mr. World, the one that wants to control everything with black hats. It's quite fascinating. Because as we see now, Elon is the savior of all, apparently. Let's see what the news clips say about that. And how they're trying to, oh, let's make liberals cry again. Whatever losers sharing that really doesn't see the big game behind it. Here we go. Twitter takeover complete. The deal, of course, will be fully done sometime this year. But after days of waiting, I mean, it wasn't even months. It was literally days of waiting, hand wringing, little bit of wrangling here. Tesla CEO Elon Musk will buy Twitter for $54.20 a share or $44 billion in a deal that will take the popular microblogging service private because he feels not quite popular enough that it hasn't been gaining users and it has not made the kind of money that Elon Musk feels it could make. So that purchase price actually represents about a 38% premium to Twitter's closing price back on April 1st. That was the last trading day before Elon Musk disclosed his approximately 9% stake in Twitter. So here's here's what we know. He's secured about $25.5 billion of fully committed debt and margin loan financing. And then he is providing an approximately $21 billion in equity commitment. So Charlie, as I mentioned, just landed. He's been following the Twitter story from the start, joins us now with new details. No breakup fee that I can see. Are you seeing anything here, Charlie? No, and this followed the script that I told you two weeks ago when this when this first when the rubber started meeting the road. Twitter has been, and I've covered it, has been shopping itself relentlessly for ten years since it became public, uh, or nine years ago when it became public. Um, it has failed to find a buyer. Everybody has looked at the books. By the way, you said marginally profitable. I don't think it is profitable. It certainly doesn't have good cash flow numbers. It's a horrendous buyout candidate for private equity. If you notice all those names that popped up about private equity, putting equity into this. What was it? Rio Bravo? Remember that one? Uh, no, nowhere to be found because they, they weren't going to do it. I, I, that, that was, I think, a false rumor when that popped. Because this makes no sense from a private equity standpoint. The only legitimate buyer for, for Twitter based on its uh, financial metrics, based on the fact that everybody passed, is is a, a crazy billionaire, to be honest with you. Some guy that wants to take a, take a leap and, and make it private, fix its manifold problems, everything from silencing conservative critics to, uh, to, to make it a more user-friendly, get rid of the bots and the, and the trolls, all that stuff. The only way you can really do that and take some chances is as a private company. The best person voice to do that is a Warren Buffett or an Elon Musk. This isn't Buffett's cup of tea, as you know, Liz. Uh, but it is Musk. And, you know, here's why I think, you know, I'm, I'm reading these breathless headlines this morning in the Wall Street Journal that, you know, in a major 180, it was no major 180 here. The board of directors sat down and Twitter and, and their bankers at Goldman Sachs. Well, they did have a poison JP pill Moore. that they put into effect, Charlie. Yeah, I mean, the, the, they didn't that. like the care. initial I deal. I, I don't care. I don't care. They were doing that just to try to get him to up the bid. But here's the bottom line. And, and buy some time. Maybe. Maybe out of the goodness of Warren Buffett's heart, he might, because they don't like Elon, that he might, uh, a lefty like Warren would, would jump in. So here's what happened. They all sat down, J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Twitter board, and they, they looked at their directors and officers insurance policies. And they said, you know what? If we say no to this guy, we're going to be sued to kingdom come. Jamie Dimon and, and David Solomon, 
the J.P. Morgan CEOs, respectively, and Goldman Sachs, respectively, would have to explain to their major clients why they walked away from a huge premium on the deal. Well, yeah. They couldn't say, they couldn't say, by the way, that, hey, this thing traded at 77 last year. Because guess what? Last year, Jerome Powell was just fueling the market with money. With cheap that, uh, that's borrowing. A fake, that's a, a cheap yeah. money. That's a fake. That, that was a fake. Hey, number. Charlie, so, so the stock they, is what halted. They to, what, what they had to, let me finish. What they had to do is justify saying no to the premium he offered and the fact that there was never going to be another bidder. Okay. And they were smart because they were going to be like crazy. Okay, so right bid. now, Twitter is still halted. So we're going to keep the bug up. What we've done is we put the bug on the lower right-hand side. So it, right. it is halted at 51.63. Interesting to see where it will go. Let us look at Tesla, if you can. Interestingly, Tesla, the company that really many Tesla share holders would really feel needs his 100% attention is falling. Two percent right now. Let's see. It opened well, at nine seventy nine, so it's it's above that at the moment. But today Liz, it had, had been. Hold on, hold on. Today it had been as high as one thousand eight dollars. It's at nine eighty three right, but remember, right but now. That, that doesn't that doesn't tell the full story. Tesla had a really good quarter. Stock went up. This was a perfect time for him to do this. Here's something else that people forget. Tesla is clearly overvalued by any normal metric. All right, if you're Elon Musk. What better way to start putting your overvalued shares to use and buy something like this? And by the way, he now becomes the most important publisher in the country right now. I know Twitter's got a lot of bots and this and that, but it's still an important medium for public discourse. Everybody's on it. Everybody of everybody that are that that's in the sort of newsmaking capacity is on it. It's very efficient in terms of spreading news. He's now the most important publisher. He's more, more important than the Salzburgers. He's more important than, than Bezos at, at the Washington Post. He is, he's reached another level. And, you know, my guess is he's looking back saying, you know, Tesla shares, you know, when, when the Fed starts raising rates, you know, they're going to go down like everybody else. You know, Michael, just do this. <laughs> the next stage of my career. And it's, it's, an, it's a brilliant deal, I think. You know, and, and you know what? Here's the, thing, the great thing about it. It's private. You know, it's not like Disney has to go out and buy it and then justify it to its shareholders. Yeah. This is a private company. They can fix it. They can do whatever they want with it. Shareholders are finally getting paid. Those defectless people that ran Twitter for years have nothing. They, 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 have, they have nothing to complain about. It's the shareholders that have a lot to complain about. Yeah. And, for, and for once, the shareholders did okay. Yeah. And, uh, Check you know, this, you know, Charlie. Um, check this, uh, Twitter still halted. We want to let everybody know that. DWAC, this is, of course, uh, the uh, SPAC that uh, is part of the Truth Social, social media group oh, yeah. that Donald yeah. Trump had put forth, falling about 13.5% at the moment. Right. And we're looking at some other social media names. Meta was higher. It's flat to slightly lower. Snap was higher. It is now down about half a percent. Pinterest up three quarters of a percent. I don't really see that as a competition right. to Twitter. But the but the social but the the, the social one, the yep. fact that yeah. the social the chattery that's the you know, that, engagement. That, that's the big loser. I mean, there is. I, I mean, you know, listen. You know, Elon Musk has not addressed the elephant in the room. Will he let Donald Trump back on the platform? Uh, but I guess by all intents and purposes, he is. Okay. Um, everybody knows says he will, and I think other people will get back on. I think Alex Berenson, who was banned from Twitter because he said some heterodox stuff about about the vaccines and COVID. I think he gets back on. I mean, I think there's going to be an uncanceling of blue check marks uh, that uh, that 
that that sure. Elon will engage in, and yeah. you know, and that's bad for social. Also bad for social is the fact that they had they, their their technology didn't work. I mean, I tried signing up for that. And I still haven't got my notice that I'm signed Yeah, up. you're talking about DWAC. Like Can we show DWAC? Yeah, it's DWAC. now down 14%. This is Digital World Acquisition yeah. Corp, which, of course, is uh, Donald Trump's truth social company. Let me just uh, say, folks, that Twitter is now trading once again. It is jumping about anywhere from 6% to 5.9%. It's moving all over the place here. It's a 51.85, 51.90. As we watch the intraday picture right here, you can see that it is on the move. It's not exactly skyrocketing. I'm wondering now if we bring in the floor show traders, exactly what they think is happening. Is this sort of hold on the news? We're hearing from the Twitter CEO now as well, Parag Agrawal. He, of course, of Twitter has a purpose and relevance that impacts the entire world, he says. Deeply proud of our teams and inspired by the work that has never been more important. Parag Agrawal tweeting just this moment. Uh, don't know what happens to him, but I highly doubt he stays on board because Elon Musk has made it very clear he was unhappy with the way the company was actually moving in the direction in which it was trajectory in that point. So that's some food for thought right there. Alternative media platforms will be eliminated. And remember who was the one that pitched it. You always have to see to the people earwigging, not saying that Elon wouldn't have seen it himself, right? And what stops to say, well, maybe I should buy this one and buy that one. And you could have seen the writing on the wall that it was going to happen. I mean, they said no. And it's like, mm, that's not how it goes. And then you've got BlackRock, Morgan Stanley, right? Backing the loan. Come on. And then he goes to show the world that he and Gates aren't on the same page because Gates shorted his stock. Very well scripted, I might add. See, but betrayal comes in many forms. It's not like just your spouse cheating on you and your friend backstabbing you. or It's deeper than that. It's when people decide to change change their values with an excuse, of course. I would never, but I would never, but I would never, but I'll be on Twitter. I have nothing to lose, nothing to gain. The more people can hear me, the better, right? The more people they can hear me, the more people wake up and start asking questions. But the betrayal isn't the platform. It's the way it's being dished and served to you as if you're being rescued. And the only ones that are thirsty to be rescued are the losers that had all those bot accounts to beef them up and pretend that they were important. That's it. It's so interesting. You know, Elon had them in the vice. I mean, there's no way that they could have turned it down. They could say no, but then their investors would be like, what? You're not doing us justice. You're not doing what's best for us. This is a problem. Betrayal. You know, people always see it as something as one person stabbing you in the back. People see it as, it, you know, one person doing this. No, it can be an idea. It can be a movement. It can be a whole nation. It can be a government. It can be a conglomerate of things. Oh, I say Betrayal. That'll be how you see it. Now, 
before we shift gears, I want to show you um, some more betrayal. And that's says you're going to be like, are you showing us Barack Obama? Listen, I want you to see who was really running your country while President Trump was sitting in that seat. I want you to listen to him very carefully. Another tumultuous, dangerous moment in history. Autocrats and aspiring strongmen have become emboldened around the globe. They're actively subverting democracy. They're undermining hard-won human rights. They're ignoring international law. People like Putin and Steve Bannon, for that matter, Understand, it's not necessary for people to believe this information in order to weaken democratic institutions. You just have to raise enough questions, spread enough dirt, plant enough conspiracy theorizing that citizens no longer know what to believe. The, the divisions that exist in this country aren't going away anytime soon, but the information we get, the stories we tell ourselves can as Lincoln said, encourage the better, better angels of our nature. They can also encourage the worst. And a healthy democracy depends on our better angels being encouraged. The internet is a tool. Social media is a tool. At the end of the day, tools don't control us. We control them, and we can remake them. It's up to each of us to decide what we value, and then use the tools we've been given to advance those values. And I believe we should use every tool at our disposal to secure our greatest gift, a government of, by, for the people, generations to come. And I hope you agree with me, and I look forward to you joining in the work. Thank you very, very much, everybody. everybody. How bizarre is it that the words that he spoke were true? True. Yet the one thing that made it clear that he was not doing it for you was, well, two things. Was one, that that, that advertisement but it was paid by the Lincoln Project. <laughs> number one, Rhino Central paid for it, right? But number two, he made it clear that the internet is a tool and you can recreate that so you can harness control of the message. This is what the bottom line was. And that, and that, my friends, is exactly what's happening. And I really wished and I really hope that for the next, you know, 14 months that we have, more people wake up and they use this discernment. Trading old gods for new gods, creating new idols, right? New idols, losing old ones. This is done purposeful. My article said it clearly, and you're going to see it in the next rally. It is all being done according to schedule. And the only factor they cannot control is that of the people. And it's going to be pretty bad. This summer is the turning point. The end of this summer is the turning point. And after that, you got maybe a good, what, six, eight months of maybe waking up a few more people. We don't 
Well, the minority is evident. People like feeling important. People like the spotlight. People love being fanned down and, you know, being adorned. And that's why Twitter was so effective. And this is why they mesmerize so many of you to be sticking your tongue out like idiots waiting for a drop. Being up all moments of the night for it. It was horrid. And then waiting for some guy who would tell you he's praying. But mock those that failed. Mock those that tried. Even mock those that did things very wrong. But they're still man. And they're still your brother. Writing 200 length threads in one outcome. The people of the future hate, loathe, despise the people of today. Think of it that in 50 years, your kids, your children's kids will be like, damn, my parents were so dumb. My grandparents were so dumb. They just gave up everything. And now we all have to sit in this sector and do what we're told. My parents are so dumb. They have us living in the country when I could be in the city, out in the clouds, working for them and being in a nice place with no animals and bugs and, and weather, just a controlled environment where I can sip on wine and watch TV on any wall and surface. This is all your fault that you kept me in the country. I need to escape to the city, but they won't take me because my DNA isn't like theirs. And then there'll be many that are stuck in those cities that, that wish that they were out there farming and running around, basking in the sun, oh, countries and the cities. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's all gradual. And this is why it's important that Gen Xers woke up more than anything. We were at a time where there were some TVs and we had phones with cords and then they became cordless. We had video games appear computers personal computers appear we went through really fucked up fashion in the 80s crazy ass music drugs hippies come on guys like that is the generation that can actually change this and that's the generation that's sitting on its thumb waiting to be excited by bullshit or can't be bothered so that's one outcome the other outcome is where people don't deify one person where people don't deify one party where people don't deify technology, where people don't say, well, you know, they're corrupt. They're going to win anyway. What's the point? Where people actually take the bull by the horns, where people actually take over their local city councils, their state commissions, their state legislation, their state Senate, their federal Senate, their U.S. House, and they run like thoroughbreds because that's what they are. See, that's that's the path we want to take. The path where we're like everything in moderation. The pan metron ariston. One of the best phrases ever stated in history. And that's it. That is how things can change. Because I'm telling you, that's the only way. You got to choose God over government. That's the only way it happens. I'll see you guys in just a bit. They want you locked in your home without God and alone. Don't want you looking up Dr. Sebi and Robin Malone. The truth blocked on your phones. They call the shots from they throne. These politicians and these doctors, they are not in control. Jimmy. Don't cover the face that the Lord created so it can be seen. 
Tired of the fake trending all over the place. We just want to be free. There's no fear with fake these brazen sewers hiding underneath. All the passive threats and trauma that came from this tyranny. We won't bow down to the golden cow and do as it pleases. We don't care what they say, it's God It should always be God over government, unfortunately. You know, it is what it is, right? See, a lot of people don't seem to understand how this ends. In the end, God wins regardless. But treason does not pay well. That is for sure. And people need to understand that treason does not pay well. And treason has many, I would say, grades to it. Um, Levels, I guess. By the end, well, when the beginning is initiated, you will be in awe of what you have actually witnessed. And uh, one example that I gave, and boy, was it bold of me to do, was indeed the sticker brigade. You saw that from one conversation to let's make stickers, it's gone global. Global. You did that. That is just how powerful you are. And your numbers may not be grand, but they are growing. And that is it. One person needs to understand what the end really means. Like, when does this end? How will this end? You know, you have to remember who you are taught to trust the most, right? Because when you understand who you are taught to trust the most, you will understand just how difficult the task is at hand. And that's where the end comes in. That's how you can define the end. And, you know, the more, (laughs) you know, we look into things, the more conspiracies are now real. The more you are seeing that it's not just a conspiracy. This isn't way out there. Everything I've learned is false. And, and the deeper you go into those holes, the more unrealistic it actually seems. You're just like, this is nuts. This destroys everything. Every step that I take has been done on a false floor, which means that you were walking in faith of whatever God you claim. I don't have a God. It's just Jesus Christ. Then tell me how you ate all this shit up. You've deified areas of your life because you were taught to. The end, the end, because the beginning of the end already began. But the end is not going to be for everybody. It will not. I mean, I see myself at an advantage. I do not not trust anyone, right? Because when you lack the ability to trust anyone, then there's no point in living. You have no faith. You must always have faith in humankind. If you don't, then you don't trust. And then you're just as horrid as the next one. I see it in people that I associate with. They trust no one. They don't even trust people that would go to jail for them. They don't trust people that watch their kids. They don't trust people that they cook and break bread with. They don't trust anybody, which means they live in hell. I could not fathom. I could not fathom living. Well, I did, but I could not fathom living like that 
to not trust. See, I trust because I know he's got my back. I trust because he's got my back. And if something bad happens, I don't get upset because something bad happens and it'll hurt me. I get upset because they were lost. See, they were lost. I start to see that. It hurts me. Like people think, are you having a go at me? Are you getting angry with me? And it's like, look, I already knew you were capable of doing this. I already saw the writing on the wall and I warned you and I told you and I tried to shower you with love to show you that this isn't the way you shouldn't make that decision. You shouldn't do this. And you can come up with a million excuses as to why you behave like this. You did something like this or anything, but in essence, the anger that someone may exert on you may not be because they're pissed that you stabbed them in the back, didn't do what you were going to say or whatever. It's more so, damn, I think I just lost a soul. You see what I'm trying to say? If we see it like that, all of us, everything changes. You know, there's a lot of you that have a family of what, 10, 5, 20, 30, 40 that you're close to. Would you like to know? that maybe it's only you and one other person that'll make it to wherever it is you need to make it. That'll make you sad when you know that, you know, your brother, your sister, your cousin, your mom, your aunt, your grandpa can do it too. They're just not seeing it. And you will be as rough and strong and hard with them. Don't take it like that. Think of it as love. Why do you see it as something bad? It's kind of like, um, I've seen this before where, you know, you have, um, a sibling and they have children. And then you go and you tell your sibling, Hey, I found your son a job. They can go there and work. No, you didn't find my son a job. My son applied. And it's like, why are you upset that I recommended them for the job? I want them to succeed. No, you just want to be like, I'm better than you. And I was able to find them a job because they weren't capable of doing it. You see, you see how that goes. It's the way you see things, where you, what kind of person you are and where you stand, big words of Aslan, determine what you see and hear. And that's the problem. I'm sure many of you have come across from that. And I can tell you, I've, uh, I've shared two times where I have had allowed or was hurt. Two times. That I've, I, that I've shared that, that I was hurt. And I can tell you that the reason that I was able to get hurt was because that's where I struggled with faith. The minute you struggle, you get hurt. You get very hurt. You allow the forces to impede on you. Like, for example, when I was poisoned that time, right? I was going through a really weird time. And my faith was struggling because, you know, I was at the point like, all right, so I'm like totally forsaken right now. Like I was angry. And that was a window to allow anything to bother me. I allow things, some things upset me. And I know a lot of people say, well, you shouldn't be answering or saying things. Why not? When someone parades around saying, well, I'm going to tell you the truth, right? And they're not telling you the truth. And it was all a setup. And this is why I reached out to them. 
you know, I should say it. A lot of people are like, you know, I'm also struggling. I've been struggling today a lot. I'm angry because I, maybe I'm not conveying my anger correctly. Um, my, and it's disappointment, not so much anger, disappointment. Disappointment that, you know, other things, things that you've entrusted don't seem to pan out. You get really disappointed when other people are lying to you and you know they are. You get disappointed. How could you not get disappointed? How can you not get disappointed when people want to be more important than the the collective? How can you not get disappointed when people are causing turmoil when it's unnecessary at the moment? How can you not get disappointed? You do. And that comes out, you know, pretty bad. But what I want to show you is a little bit of truth. I did tell you on the day of election night that's going forward from that day, CNN will be providing you more truth than any other channel on the mainstream media. And here's one of those times. Here we go. CNN exclusively obtained never-foreseen text messages sent and received by former Trump chief of staff Mark Meadows between Election Day in November of 2020 and President Biden's inauguration on January 20th, 2021. CNN special correspondent Jamie Gangal joins me now with this exclusive reporting. Jamie, you have a lot of it. First, give the context of this. So for context, the January 6th committee has released a few of these before, uh, a few text messages. Also, CNN has obtained and published some others before. But what we have now are all 2,319 text messages mm. that Mark Meadows voluntarily handed over to the committee. The messages really give an extraordinary glimpse at how Meadows was doing Trump's bidding, how they were trying to overturn the election when they knew that there was no widespread election fraud. Remember on December 1st, their own attorney general, Bill Barr, said there was no evidence of election fraud. But this shows what they're doing and saying behind the scenes in real time even when they know otherwise. Let me just tell you, the text messages include messages from Trump's family, Donald Trump Jr., Ivanka Trump, Jared Kushner, as well as White House and campaign officials, uh, Rudy Giuliani, Sean Hannity, other Fox News hosts from the media, a lot of GOP activists, rally organizers, and even people like MyPillow CEO, Mike Lindell. Mm. Uh, in addition, there are text messages with more than 40 current and former Republican members of Congress, including Senator Ted Cruz, representatives, Mo Brooks, Jim Jordan, and Marjorie Taylor Greene. So it's, it's, it's extensive. And one of the many um, bits of information right. this reveals and underscores, Jamie, is that no matter what many of those people are saying now, in the moment, on January 6th, they were desperate please, by people who are very much Trump supporters for help. Right. So there are some surprises. What do we already know? We know from the committee that people on January 6th were reaching out to Meadows, trying to get then-President Trump to do something. What you see in the logs is that Meadows is flooded with messages. Mm -hmm. And here's a surprise. One of the first members of Congress, according to the log, 
to reach out to Mark Meadows is none other than Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is a staunch Trump supporter. And we're going to start with that one. She says, quote, Mark, I was just told there is an active shooter on the first floor of the Capitol. Please tell the president to calm people. This isn't the way to solve anything. Now, we're going to hear more from her later. She changes her tune the next day. But that day, she's worried and concerned about what's going on. Um, Also, you hear from Mick Mulvaney, former acting chief of staff, quote, Mark, he needs to stop this now. Can I do anything to help? Representative William Timmons, the president needs to stop this ASAP. And from Reince Priebus, former chief of staff, uh, RNC chairman, all capital letters, tell them to go home, three exclamation points. We've also seen a couple of texts before from Donald Trump Jr. Now we have the full picture. So in the past, we know that he had texted Meadows. He's got to condemn this. You can read it on the screen. ASAP, the Capitol Police tweet is not enough. Meadows responds, I'm pushing it hard. I agree. Donald Trump Jr., this is the part that's new. This is one you go to the mattresses on. They will try to F his entire legacy on this if it gets worse. These texts really underscore uh, what the committee has been talking about, which is what was Donald Trump not doing for these hours, Mm -hmm. these 187 minutes when his staunchest supporters and his own family are trying to get him to stop the violence. Jamie, there's so many threads to pull here. First of all, Donald Trump Jr. quoting the Godfather is incredibly rich. (laughs) But also all of these people at the time were doing and saying the right things, make it stop. And then only afterwards, they've changed their tune to say things that that are, um, you know, in denial of what happened. So this is all January 6th. Right. But you've also obtained texts going back to Election Day. Tell us what you've learned about what Mark Meadows was hearing when it came to the conspiracy theories and the distorted legal reasoning. Right. So one of the interesting frequent exchanges is a group text of the inner circle. This is Ivanka Trump, Hope Hicks, Jason Miller, Bill Stepien, Dan Scavino, Jared Kushner. On November 5th, Ivanka Trump texts Meadows and the group, quote, you are all warriors, capital letters of epic proportions. Keep the faith and the fight. Then on November 7th, just hours before the election is called, the theories about how to fight are already coming in. Trump's former energy secretary, Rick Perry, former governor of Texas, texts Meadows, quote, we have the data-driven program that can clearly show where the fraud was committed. This is the silver bullet. So you see that starting right away. Uh, Just for the record, Previously, we've reported at CNN another Rick Perry text. He denied it. It was his phone. CNN has confirmed from multiple sources, friends and colleagues of his, that that is his phone number. These texts were coming from. In fact, these texts on the Meadows log show that he signed his name and his telephone number at the end of of the text. Um, Just for some context about Mark Meadows Mm -hmm. and his role, for the most part, his replies are short. Sometimes he does not reply at all. We do not know whether that's because parts of these were deleted 
or because redacted because he made claims of privilege. But I will say this from 30,000 feet, when you look at these messages, if this is what Meadows turned over willingly Mm. to the January 6th committee, you have to wonder what's in the rest of the documents because these are so damning. Yeah, they certainly are. Um, Rick Perry signing his name and putting his phone number on the phone number that he texted is also uh, is also interesting. Right. But the other thing that that we should just note, uh, you mentioned so importantly, the open question of what Trump was doing all this right. time. He doesn't he the former president still to this day, as far as we know, does not text. So all of these people were trying were getting to Mark Meadows, including Donald Trump's own son, right. because they knew that was the only way to reach him to reach the president. Right. So there are no Donald Trump president texts right. texts here. It's also interesting, some other people who are not here. But remember, this is what the committee has obtained. Mm-hmm. Not everything. Mm-hmm. Meadows is fighting. He's withholding things. So I, I think one of the interesting things has to do with the fact that uh, someone like Raffensperger, the secretary of state of Georgia, does yep. not respond. Well, we're, Meadows reaches out, no answer. Well, that's, that's a good tease, Jamie, because we're going to talk a lot more about that uh, later in the show. As always, fantastic reporting, thank Jamie. Thank you so much. So what do the texts tell you? First of all, on November 7th, they already knew how this uh, scam happened, right? They knew about the data. They knew how it was going, right? So what does that tell you? Just how many people actually knew the truth and obfuscated it. And then they had all these people and teams coming in trying to help out, right? To find the evidence of it so it can be organic rather than direct and using inside information for it, right? That's what I'm assuming. 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 Again, assuming. And a lot of people, good people, did go down there to help. Some people went down there because they wanted to sell their bar idea, but other people actually went down there to help. They went down there to help and provide information and what they saw. There are thousands of Americans that signed affidavits under penalty of perjury. They tried. So it almost seems as if the J6 committee is working to get information to assist themselves on how to deter getting caught. Why would you have the text from November if you're only looking at J6? This is just a question, which means it has expanded to that portion. Now, if I was the scriptwriter, I would make sure that I would call to the table all the people that were the bad actors that thought that they were able to get this done. And then I would get the good actors and expand it and give just enough so people can bury themselves, see actions like, you know, audits randomly happening, you know, stupid shit, the media going crazy. Cause this will just tank the media again. It'll just tank them again by taking, I mean, this would just be the nail on the coffin. This would allow the people to see more. See, October was always known as October's prize, right? Now, 
Surprises are happening. I did tell you that we're not going to be having elections in the way we know them. And uh, last week, uh, from what I know, and I'm not going to speak fully on it, what I've been saying, which is to file lawsuits to stop the use of election machines, the first one was actually filed. And this will be happening nationwide. But we'll talk about that when the time is right. That's a little thing that I've been working on. And as you can see, uh, that was actually filed because if we throw out the machines, then, then, then things start to change and then people start to panic and then it's game over. So we have to be able to run them to the dead end of the maze and see this is why I said you, you have to wait until August and it's going to be very painful until that time. This is where those that have faith will be challenged and those that do not have faith will join. You know, it's so weird to see all these atheists suddenly fall in love with Christ. All these atheists start to believe in God. All these atheists more able to comprehend and embrace that their whole reality was a sandcastle. And with one wave, you know, but before we get into um, Christopher Ray, I wanted to say, you know, I, I'm struggling with a lot. I, I'm struggling with the fact that, you know, I work really, really hard and all I get are slaps in the faces. I work really, really hard and bigger names put their name on my things and get glory for it. I, I, it, I shouldn't be upset, but it does upset me. And I'm really struggling for that. So this is like a kind of like a plea for a prayer there. Because, you know, when you've been working on something so long and, you know, you're like, let's go. And even those that obtain that and use that, not even in private will they say thank you sometimes. And that is, that's ego, right? I guess, because the mission is more, but I guess it's more sadness that I expected more from them, right? And that's where it hurts, that everybody knows, but no one will say. And when I say, say my name, you don't have to say my name in public, but in private, it would be nice. Say thanks. I got this done because you put all this hard work I appreciate it. That doesn't happen. They just take it and run. Um, you know, you position people in the right place and they refuse to acknowledge that, that, that you got them to that place in private, not in public, right? I don't care about the public. I'm talking about private, in private, right? That's what sucks, that in private, they don't even have to say the, 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 the niceness to say, you know, you've, you've been super warrior. Thank you. Actually, I have to say that one person did, and that's who matters in private. But the people that benefit, it hurts. It really, really hurts. So, 
Um, and again, it's not the whole public thing. I'm talking about private, right? That's what hurts in private. So um, I'm going to ask for your prayers if you can, because those are the best. And uh, but before um, before we get into Christopher Ray, I wanted to show you something about the border. Sorry, because I totally forgot. And this is important that you see this. So I just wanted to make that kind of call. Hey, like pause what you're doing while you're listening. Just be like, yeah, give her the strength to not be so butthurt that people that she's helping um, don't even in private say thanks. All right. So actually they make you feel like you're the leper and you're just like, what? You wouldn't be where you, okay. I'm going to just, you know, and then they come to you for, for more and you're just like, you know, if I don't, then my country fails, so I should do something. And you just feel like, I know you're using me, and I'm okay with that, but you could at least be nice about it. Here we go. Tom, I will turn the podium over to Representative Roy. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Leader McCarthy. Um, throughout my entire life in public service, I've heard a lot of my Democratic colleagues claim the mantle of compassion. There is nothing compassionate about this, nothing. Last Friday, a teenage girl who had been raped, prostituted, put into the sex trafficking trade, served as the basis for the arrest of a Mexican national who had been deported 15 times. That happened in San Antonio, Texas. That's a real life, it's a real human being. There are stash houses within miles of here, stash houses in Houston, San Antonio, human beings being trafficked for profit. And it takes a lot of effort to get the media to come down here and focus on this. The ranchers that we met with this morning that I've met with dozens of times, that Tony's met with dozens of times, hundreds of times. Where are you guys on a daily basis when their lives are getting turned upside down? Are you asking our Democratic colleagues like you tend to go stick a microphone in our face asking us which thing we've done or not done? Have you asked any of our Democratic colleagues why they've not signed a discharge petition to ensure Title 42 enforcement, which we've had filed for a year? We filed it last April. An entire year it's been sitting there. Now we get attention a month out. But here's the real truth. Title 42 is a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. It's not actual border security. It's important, but it represents the ability to turn people away and actually secure the border. But we've got to actually do the hard work of having a sovereign nation secure a border so that migrants don't get killed. The 700 to 1,000, they're in body trailers. The local officials have to go rent to put bodies in. The ranchers who find dead bodies on their property, the bodies we find in the river on a daily basis that Border Patrol has to go find in the river every day. That's my ask of you in the press. Ask every single member of the House of Representatives on the other side of the aisle why they won't sign a discharge petition to move Title 42, but more importantly, stand up for a secure border. Remember that it was a Democrat, Sylvester Reyes, who helped us build a fence in El Paso 15 years ago that is actually helping the flow there. This should not be a partisan issue to have a sovereign nation. 
That's what this is about. But it's about the humanity. It's about the people dying from fentanyl poisoning. It's about the people being put in the sex trafficking trade. It's about the ranchers. It's about the people throughout this country getting harmed because this administration, led by the president and Secretary Mayorkas, who I look forward to seeing on Thursday, by the way, in the Judiciary Committee, they won't do their job. And they leave the job to the governor and Texas DPS and our National Guard in Texas. With that, I'm going to turn over to my friend, Ms. Taylor Green from Georgia. First, I'd like to thank Congressman Tony Gonzalez for bringing us here. Um, and Leader McCarthy, thank you very much. I'm from Georgia, and this is my first real border trip. And I just want to tell you right now, this isn't about political parties, and it should be nothing about politics. This should be about securing the United States border, respecting our laws, respecting our law enforcement, respecting the families and the businesses that live right here along our border, and then also realizing by the sheer numbers and the facts and the, the information that we learned today that our president, that the United States elected, he is serving as our president. Well, he is the greatest business partner to the cartels that has ever existed because everything he's doing along with the Democrats is enriching them by so much money, hundreds of millions of dollars and even more. The human suffering that has happened and is happening and will happen if Title 42 is repealed and lifted and the amount of people that are expected to come across this border starts coming, this will bring human suffering, death and crime like we have never seen. And we're already seeing it at, at numbers and elevated numbers that we've never witnessed before in our lives. Imagine being a mother and you can't let your children go play outside in the yard because there are people that you don't know who they are invading your country, coming across your property, and imagine what they could do to your kids. Imagine being a woman and you're just trying to get your groceries out of your car to carry them in the house, and you are faced with men who don't even belong in your, in your carport, and that's where they are because they invaded our country. Now imagine finding out that your grandson drowned in this river behind us because he went in to save someone's life who is rumored to be smuggling drugs into America. These are the things that shouldn't be happening, but they're happening and the Democrats are doing nothing about it. Well, here's what's going to happen. House Republicans are committed and we are all together going to do something about this problem to secure our border. And most of all, protect our country and our families and our businesses and support our law enforcement, border patrol, and give them the resources that they need so that America can be respected again, our laws can be respected again, and we can have a secure nation for every single American, not for just one group or another, but for all of us. Thank you very much. With that, I'd like to turn it over to Representative Diana Harshberger. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Leader McCarthy, for inviting me. You know, I'm, I'm not from a border state. I'm from Tennessee, but every state in the union is going to be a border state. Um, I, I don't know what to say about what I've seen today. It's heartbreaking that a young man lost his, his life. A grandmother will go home and she won't have a grandson, but it happens every day with these illegal drugs being smuggled across the border. And I don't know of a family that's not been touched at all. 
by someone who's lost a son or a daughter or a mom or a dad because of the illegal use of fentanyl, methamphetamines, the numbers are unreal. You know, the cartels are the biggest national criminal threat to our country, period. And we're allowing this to happen. And our government is becoming the largest human smuggler of illegal aliens, period. This is a travesty. A sovereign, a sovereign nation has borders. And I want the Border Patrol and all law enforcement in Texas to know that we're going to do whatever we can to help stop this. And it happens in November. We have to stop the bleeding. These people are asking us to help. These ranchers are having their, it's trespassing. No one's taking charge. It's, they can't get anybody to come out when somebody comes. Women are in their homes being attacked sometimes by illegals. You know, these are stories we heard today. It's unbelievable. And the rest of the country needs to wake up. And they need to see what's happening right here. Del Rio, Eagle Pass, the Rio Grande. The numbers we heard today are staggering. It's unbelievable. And I want them to know that I'll do whatever within my power to help them get the funds they need, to help them with whatever they need to stop this situation. The law is the law. And if you want to change it, you need to legislate it, not executive order it. And the last thing I'll say is lawlessness breeds lawlessness. And that's what we're seeing right here. And our nation can't handle this. With that, I'll turn it over to Representative Blake Moore. Thank you, Diana. Uh, I'd like to just first sincerely thank uh, Representative Tony Gonzalez. He's an incredible friend of mine. We're freshmen together. And speak directly to the Texans in the 23rd District. You have somebody in Tony Gonzalez that cares more about this issue than anybody that I know. Um, but he doesn't just he doesn't just show up by bringing numerous numerous groups down here to just walk us through it and show us the reality. We're on the House floor and I'm asking him questions about this before I go on a town hall in my town in my in in, in my district of, of Utah. Your representative cares deeply about this and he cares about solutions. And he talked about it today and he will continue to <clears throat> focus on that. <clears throat> I apologize. He mentioned it's a somber day and I'd like to just echo the condolences for Specialist Evans and to his grandmother that didn't need to happen. Um, and we will continue to work and fight so his life is not in vain. You see his, his fellow guardsmen his leadership here today sharing us with us the reality. Look, I appreciate all the cameras and stuff. In my freshman term, I've, I, I haven't done a lot of this. I haven't spoken a lot to broad media. I've, but what I have done is what the point that I want to make. Like I said, I'm in Utah. We're tucked in the inner mountain region of the, of the U.S. It's very, very far from northern, east, west, all the borders of our nation. And... What I have done is had countless town halls with my community. And there hasn't been a single town hall, an interaction that I've had where they haven't asked about this. They haven't asked about the border situation. This is affecting every single community in America. And it's all something we can avoid. And it's reiterated by what we just heard from the general over the, uh, the Air National Guard here in Texas. 
was that you have to address the policy. Address the policy. There's policies that work from the previous administration. Address it. Don't let politics guide you. Address the policy. Enforce the Remain in Mexico policy. It's a compassionate program. It will keep border activity to a minimum. Right? We are all for embracing. There, there, there's a comprehensive approach to being able to address this. But we have to enforce policy. We have to strengthen our border. And that will allow for us to be able to continue to address a comprehensive approach. And I've heard that from business leaders today and from individuals that are faced with this dire situation. And I just wanted to emphasize how much we care about this and we care about making it right. Thank you. I'll introduce next Representative Randy Weber. Well, thank you, Blake. And buenas tardes, hombres. Me llamo es Randy Weber. Yep, I'm over that one. Me llamo whatever. <laughs> Listen, the border is a big deal. And now everyone's getting on board with something I mentioned years and years ago, which is it's not just about the sex trafficking. The majority of the trafficking victims are those that are being used for experimentation and organ harvesting. The sustenance and, and sexual slavery and just cleaning slavery is secondary. That's where the real problem is. Now, many people will be like, well, they have the border because they need voters. You have to think. Take the 40,000 foot view. 30,000 is kind of short. 40,000, quite an important number. Take a 40,000 foot view and think. Think as to why they have this border. Oh, you need votes. Oh, jeez. Majority of them that are coming in are kids, man. Think again. That's the problem. People don't think anymore. They just go with whatever idea sounds good, right? Raise corrupt, because that sounds good, right? Raise mean, because that sounds good, right? See, that's the problem that we have, is that people have entrusted specific people to be their voice. This guy wants to run for president. No shit. No shit. 20 million steps ahead. Happenstance, happen chance, you know how that goes. But like I said, I worked in the other languages division. Happen chance, happenstance. A lot of people don't like that, you know? Can't be like this, can't be like that, should be like this. That's not possible. Well, what wasn't possible is that you know, uh, 10 years ago was that you wouldn't be able to have a specific conversation with, with not specific. How's this not have any conversation with someone where you were separated by a large water mass on video, but you are pay attention to these words before we get into Christopher Ray. Listen carefully. The criticism of the FBI after January 6th was that the plans of these people were on social media and the FBI didn't see that. We at the FBI shared information uh, through a variety of intelligence products for a solid year leading up to January 6th that raised the potential for violent extremism. What we did not, to my knowledge, have was intelligence indicating that Thousands of people were going to physically storm the U.S. Capitol in the middle of the constitutional process. That was interesting. 
He didn't know. Beg to differ. So if I know that he's lying, then, and uh, everyone's like, no, he's being, I know for a fact he's lying. For a fact. 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 He's lying. The question then goes to why is he lying? See, a lot of people lie. But the intention behind the lie is key, right? You lie because you don't want to feel old. You lie because you don't need people to know your business. You lie when people call you and they're like, how are you doing? How are you doing today? And you want to get into, you know, I'm having a really crap day. Didn't sleep all night. My liver was killing me. I was puking. You know, my hair looks like crap. I've taken like three showers and I can't seem to shake this headache. And I'm just, I'm feeling vile. Nobody wants to hear that. They want to hear, yeah, I'm just fine, right? <laughs> so taking that into consideration, why would he sit there and lie and say that he didn't know that they were going to storm when they were literally waving them through? Think about it. Switch for a moment from uh, counterintelligence to crime fighting. In 2020, there was a 29% jump in murder in the United States, nearly 5,000 more people killed than the year before. What is behind this leap in homicide? Certainly, the pandemic didn't help. There's a variety of ways in which that contributed to it. Uh, We're seeing more and more juveniles committing violent crime, and that's certainly an issue. We're seeing uh, a a, a certain amount of, uh, of gun trafficking, interstate gun trafficking. That's part of it. And we're seeing uh, an alarming frequency of some of the worst of the worst getting back out on the streets. In 2021, there was a 59% increase in the murders of police officers, 73 officers killed. Violence against law enforcement in this country is one of the biggest phenomenons that I think doesn't get enough attention. Last year, officers were being killed at a rate of almost one every five days. But why are more officers being killed right now? Some of it is tied to the violent crime problem uh, as a whole. But one of the phenomena that we saw uh, in last year is that an alarming percentage of the 73 law enforcement officers killed in the line of duty last year were killed through things like being ambushed uh, or shot while out on patrol. They were killed because they were police officers. Right. Wearing the badge shouldn't make you a target. Ray lost two FBI agents last year. Laura Schwarzenberger and Daniel Alfin were shot while executing a search warrant in a child pornography case. I heard about Laura and Dan's murders uh, within uh, really moments of it happening uh, from our Miami field office. Um, And I was on the phone with their spouses uh, within a few hours, and I was in their living rooms the next morning. um, And uh, my reaction was uh, a a feeling of ache, um, almost sickness inside. in my distress, um, you know, I think it's the hardest thing I've encountered in this job. Can you say you're making any headway in violent crime? We are working very hard with our partners, state and local law enforcement partners, through task forces, task forces all over the country and through surging rapid deployment teams to try to combat violent crime in specific hotspots. 
Last year, I think we arrested something like 15,000 violent gang members around the country. And part of what fuels us to pursue this mission is our deep conviction that law enforcement's most sacred duty is to ensure that people can live free from fear in their own homes and neighborhoods. But Mr. Director, some people are in their homes living in fear of the police coming through the door with a no-knock warrant. And I wonder how the FBI can contribute to the reduction of police brutality, which also occurs in our country. Well, we take very seriously our responsibility to both protect the American people and uphold the Constitution. Uh, and that includes where it happens, uh, going after police misconduct if it violates federal criminal law. Well, here's here's a little insight. I would urge many hear the words and look at his face, no matter how good an actor it is. Your gut tells you something. I'm just going to play another clip, and I would urge that you just do that. Just listen to what he is saying, but also look at how he is saying it. And don't use your bias. Pretend you don't even know the guy, right? And just pay attention to what your gut is telling you. I wonder what you bring to the FBI. What's different here because you're the director? One of the things that I've tried to bring to the equation, to the job as FBI director, uh, is a focus on process and rigor and professionalism and objectivity. But another has been a focus on innovation. I've really focused in on the fact that the world is changing, the pace of changing, technologically certainly, but also in other ways, at a faster rate than we've ever experienced. And so if the FBI is going to remain, which I firmly believe it is, the world's premier law enforcement organization, even 10, 20 years from now, we need to make sure we're thinking ahead. So coming up with innovative ways to deal with some of those changes. So we have, for example, created an innovation lab where we have uh, work by our folks with private sector folks to try to figure out how to better anticipate some of the technological developments that are coming upon us and how we can take advantage of those technologies. We have a massive development down at Redstone Arsenal uh, in Huntsville uh, with where we are side by side with the military, NASA and others to try to take advantage of the space that we have down there to develop cyber ranges for our folks to work on cyber attacks. Um, like a gun range, only this using computers? Very much like that, to try to be ahead of the game. Uh, we have uh, uh, some of the less glamorous ways that we focus on it are the big data problem. Most Americans have heard of the so-called big data problem. Well, the FBI has a big data problem, just like a lot of other organizations. Too much information. We have mounds and mounds of data. I think about the uh, the Russians solar winds attack, which got a lot of attention, you know, maybe 18 months or so ago. One field office, one FBI field office in that one cyber investigation developed and, and accessed more data, 17 times more data than the entire Library of Congress. One field office, one investigation. And so we need to get through data like that as quickly as possible. And so trying to come up with new technologies that can help us 
crunch the data, analyze the data, figure out what matters, separate the wheat from the chaff, as it were, is a huge part of our technological challenge. But we're also doing things with, with drones, uh, with voice recognition, facial recognition, a whole body of forensics. You just mentioned all these technologies. Can you stay on the right side of privacy? We take very seriously our need to stay on the right side of privacy. And to me, that means making sure that we are fully compliant with the Constitution and the law. Uh, and we take that all the way up to the level of our mission statement, which is to protect the American people and uphold the Constitution. Uh, and we are just as committed to both parts of that mission. So before we get to the last segment, I wanted um, to kind of point something out that a lot of people didn't know. I want you guys, when you have the time, revisit the solar winds hack. And then remember that he said that they had petabytes of He didn't say petabytes, but he said they have more data than the Library of Congress under that one investigation. And what he also said is that they need data to be able to separate what is valid data and what isn't. So they're building algorithms to be able to help them because how do you get through so much data? Again, even Durham had to go through a lot of data. And then at the end, he tells you to uphold the constitution is key and foremost, right? And he said specifically 17 times more data than the Library of Congress, which holds all knowledge, supposedly. I am just pointing out some things while we enter into the last segment of uh, the Christopher Ray segment. <laughs> this is labeled Russian disinformation. Now watch him. Ukraine was central to conspiracy theories that roiled Washington after 2016. There was the Democrats had hidden a server in Ukraine. It was Ukraine, not the Russians, that meddled in the 2016 election. I wonder, was all of that the result of a Russian intelligence operation? I will say that um, we certainly did not see evidence that Ukraine uh, interfered with the 2016 uh, election. We're certainly open. All right, let's take a pause. So what did he go for? The low-hanging fruit, which was the obvious lie. No one ever said Ukraine meddled in our elections. So why would he, the reporter, make such a statement? Why would he make that statement? So what did Christopher Ray? I can tell you hands down that that's a lie, that we have no evidence. Of, I could tell you that Ukraine had no business in our elections. Like, get the fuck out of here. Stop. They had none. We all know that. So, again, listen to what he is saying and listen to how the interviewer wanted to add that Ukraine is disinfo, too. Again, listen carefully into it. We certainly look hard, but. That was not what we saw. But were those ideas planted by the Russians? The Russians engage in a very active disinformation, misinformation, 
In effect, information warfare as a key part uh, of their arsenal. They view it as an asymmetric weapon that they can use, uh, even though they're at a military, conventional military disadvantage. Uh, and certainly we have seen that. It certainly is one of the Russians' goals to interfere with American politics to the greatest extent possible. There's no question that the Russian government and the Russian intelligence services have sought to try to sow divisiveness and discord in our country and in other countries. It's not unique to targeting the United States, uh, but to try to interfere with uh, the, the, the populace uh, and to undermine our own faith in our institutions and in each other as Americans. And that is clearly part of their playbook. They use a variety of tools to do that, social media, proxies that they enlist. Uh, it is information warfare, which is itself not a new phenomenon, but what is new over the course of the last decade or so is some of the tools that advance it. In particular, the use of, of social media becomes sort of a bullhorn to amplify those kinds of operations. And as we look forward, we have to worry more about things like deep fakes as they become more and more sophisticated and harder and harder to detect. And so information warfare is here to say, well, we, we need, need to, to make, make sure, sure we're doing. All right, hold on. I'll rewind that just a few seconds. So the first thing he said is, don't be silly. Of course, Russia uses an asymmetrical warfare weapon of misinformation, disinformation. No shit. We're the ones that used it on them. We fucked them up real good. Right. So they learned. And then he also said, well, they don't just target America. They target other countries, too. I mean, you know, the interviewer could have been like, are there other countries? And he would have been like, sure, China, the UK, you know, everyone wants to influence stuff. So that's true. Right. But now he goes on to the deep fakes. Now, this is where you need to pay attention to what he says. So let me rewind that and start it over there. Just listen to this. And harder and harder and harder. Hard hard and so, so information warfare is here to stay. Well, we need to make sure we're doing at the FBI, but also with all of our partners, because it's not a uniquely FBI responsibility, is to try to make sure we're ahead of that threat. And I think Americans can have, uh, and I'm confident that Americans can have faith in our election system and our election infrastructure. There is no question that, that one of the real risks we have to guard against is having Americans lose faith in, uh, in our system as a whole and in democracy. Um, and that's something that we need to guard against. And that is harder to guard against, certainly as any one government agency. That's something that requires not just government agencies on the federal side, state and local governments, the private sector, and in some ways it, it requires every American to play a part in that, to be a discerning, thoughtful consumer of information. There's a lot of garbage out there uh, on the internet. Uh, that's not a shock, but people sometimes fall prey to believing garbage when they like the way it sounds. It's still garbage. So lots of deep fakes, and we need to do that. Then he went in through a curveball, which you saw he changed his tone and his face when he was talking about elections. Now, again, the people of the United States, especially those on the left, have lost trust in their government. 
this is who he's pandering to. Majority of the people of the left watch 60 Minutes, right? Right doesn't really give a shit. They tune out. So the faith that they should have, this was an argument that he made for the left, that you should partner with us, with private companies, he said that, with other agencies, and that you should trust us. So again, I think that that told you a lot on that. Now, I wanted to pull um, one clip. Where is it? Where is it? Give me a second so you can see the difference. I lost the clip, so I apologize. Are you not working for me? There we go. Um, What do we want? Where is it? Are you kidding? All right, here we go. Let me share that. And I'll skip through to the points that we need. Attack was not a spontaneous event. The events of January 6th were largely choreographed in advance. The attack was planned in the open on popular social media platforms. Right-wing militia groups trained for it. Maps of the Capitol grounds circulated online long before the crowds arrived in Washington. And of course, President Trump and his allies had been whipping his supporters into a frenzy for weeks. He urged them to march to the Capitol to, quote, stop the steal. He told them their country would not survive the day unless they were willing to fight. He promised them it would be wild. According to the bipartisan Senate report released earlier this week, quote, the FBI issued 15 intelligence products in, two- in 2020 related to domestic violence extremism, the last of which was issued on December 30th without any mention. Funny how all those statements were Ali Akbar statements, but I digress, right? So let me go to Christopher Ray. Okay, there we go. Here we go. Ready? Now look and listen. For this opportunity to talk about the FBI's enduring efforts to keep the American people safe. As you know, over our almost 113-year history, the FBI has worked tirelessly alongside our trusted partners to confront a host of threats facing our country, from the persistent threat posed by terrorists, both foreign and domestic, to the counterintelligence threat posed by the governments of aggressive adversaries like China and Russia, to the scourge of violence threatening our neighborhoods and Pacific Islander and Jewish communities. In some cases, these crimes are carried out by individuals we characterize as racially and ethnically motivated violent extremists. To confront this threat, we've taken a multi-pronged approach focusing on our traditional investigative efforts through our civil rights program and our domestic terrorism hate crimes fusion cell that we created about a year and a half ago, but also enhancing our law enforcement training, public outreach, and support to our state and local partners. Our efforts to stem extremist violence are on top of our continued and extensive work to disrupt violent gangs, drug organizations, and human traffickers whose criminal acts devastate families and communities. For many of you, violent crime remains the most significant and most pernicious threat you face in your home district. And in difficult times like these, we must never forget the extraordinary bravery of our federal, state, local, and tribal law enforcement members who risk life and safety every single day to protect the public and keep the peace. I say that because over the past year, we've seen a troubling uptick in violence against members of the law enforcement community. In just the first five months 
of 2021, 36 officers have been feloniously killed on the job. That's far surpassing the number by this time last year. To put that in perspective, that's almost two law enforcement officers shot and killed every week. And that's not counting all those officers who've died in the line of duty facing the countless other inherent dangers of the job, like racing in pursuit of a suspect and dying in a car accident or drowning in an attempted rescue or even the scores of officers. who. I hope you guys are paying attention because he's telling them off that their policies are the ones that are getting so many officers shot. I hope you guys are paying attention. Now, let's get to this part. Here we go. Intrusions and other kinds of cyber criminal attacks. So the scale of this uh, is something that I don't think this country's ever really ever seen anything quite like it. And it's going to get much worse. Private sector. Uh, that's why I've introduced legislation to provide incentives for people to go into the cybersecurity field. We're simply going to need more of these cyber workers in order to protect uh, Americans in the future. Now, some of these hacker groups appear to uh, either be in Russia or operate with either um, their and the article went on to disclose detailed return information spanning five years of several ultra-wealthy uh, Democrats who seem to have much more, much less enthusiasm for taxes in private than they advocate for publicly. But um, Title 26, Section 7213 makes it a federal felony punishable, punishable by fine and up to five years in prison willfully to disclose return information. Uh, that statement and the balance of the article reflect that the commission of tens of thousands of counts of crimes, probably by some IRS employee or some other authorized disclosure of the data or some hacker. Uh, ProPublica reporters and editors also apparently have committed criminal violations under Section 7213A3 by publishing this data. They write that they intended to commit, uh, commit more of that. Uh, in fact, they wrote that they thought about the privacy implications and concluded that they're and effectively above the law. Um, has the FBI made any arrests in connection with that matter? I, I can't comment on any specific, the existence or conduct of any specific investigation, but uh, to the extent that I can speak in this kind of setting, I'm not aware of any arrests specifically related to the news coverage that you just described. Has the FBI uh, executed any search warrants or raided any offices or given any tips to CNN about such thing in connection with this matter? Uh, I can't, there's no such activity that I can describe at this time. Um, the FBI has arrested hundreds of people, as you've described in your testimony, for trespassing, some of them, uh, within days of their offense and put them in solitary confinement, in some cases, for 90 days detention without bail. Why is this particular brazen, massive crime um, deprioritized? You're talking about specifically the leak of, of uh, taxpayer information. Tens of thousands of taxpayers. Well, I'm, I don't think we, I'm not suggesting any lack of prioritization. Uh, there is responsibility for um, activity of IRS employees that also involves the IRS inspector general. Uh, and so there may be a difference in areas of responsibility as compared if you're comparing it to January 6th, where uh, when it comes to acts of domestic terrorism, that's squarely something that we're expected to prioritize. And I think as the committee would want, counterterrorism is the FBI's number one priority. Uh, Director Ray, have, have there been any arrests in connection with the New York Times publication last September of the details of Donald Trump's tax information? Uh, I'm not aware of any. 
Did any uh, criminal charges ever get brought against Lois Lerner? I don't know the answer to that sitting here right now. Shifting topics a little, Director Ray, uh, but maybe thematically connected and touched on by Mr. Buck. The FBI has frequently dismissed charges against violent rioters over past months in Portland. Uh, you made reference to that matter some. Um, reportedly, over half of the charges brought have been dismissed. I think the number is about 87, and about half of those are gone. Uh, on May 28th, the journalist Andy No released a statement in evidence that he was assaulted and beaten uh, while covering the latest violent riot by Antifa at that time. He wrote about being pursued as he fled through the city streets and having to beg refuge in a hotel and fleeing into the upper floors to evade being captured and killed by rioters calling for his death. Mr. No's been repeatedly targeted, physically attacked because of his reporting on Antifa violence in Portland and Seattle. You mentioned earlier Asian Americans being specifically targeted. That includes Mr. No. Members of this committee have written you specifically before I joined this committee this session about prior assaults on Mr. No. Uh, we did it again early this week. There's been no response. In 1961, the Attorney General sent 600 U.S. Marshals to Alabama to protect freedom riders from mobs of violent people who are attacking them. Uh, why is the FBI not living up to its traditions in the enforcement of civil rights and protection of journalists like Mr. Nutt? I just wanted to say, for those of you complaining of the microphone, this is the recording, right? Not me. I have amplified it as high as I can. So I'm also trying to listen, right? It's not my recording. I can't put it higher. Okay. Now, um, I want you guys to listen to this response. Um, because you heard the response on the tax returns, how ProPublica and others have committed crimes because they have tens of thousands of people's private tax returns. That's a crime that they're publishing. And he said, well, you know, I can't comment, blah, blah, blah. They also talked about Lois Lerner, who released President Trump's private tax returns. And we know it was someone in California and that things have happened on that front again. Sometimes you don't want to put it all out there because you want to see where it's coming from. But I want you to listen to this response in how we let go all of these, but we maintain J6. Take a listen. So, so uh, uh, first thing I would say is when you're describing the prosecutions in Portland, to be clear, the FBI is not dismissing any case. Prosecute or dismiss prosecutions are made by the prosecutors, not by the FBI. And so any frustration you might have in that regard um, shouldn't be directed our way. Um, the second, uh, we have prioritized um, investigations of what I would call anarchist violent extremism, uh, in which includes any number of individuals who, who self-identify, say, with Antifa. And in fact, we've had a significant number significant increase in our number of anarchist violent extremist investigations during my tenure. In fact, we had more anarchist violent extremist arrests last year in 2020 than the prior three years combined. Um, so we are actively pursuing those investigations where we can. Um, it's, a, it's a threat that we take very seriously. Uh, we saw, for example, the first, um, in recent memory, the first lethal anarchist violent extremist attack uh, last year, it was directed by a, a Antifa identifier who attacked a, a supporter of the other side. Um, he ultimately, that defendant yeah. ultimately 
died in a shootout with the, the marshals, as you may know. The gentleman, something we take very seriously. Gentlemen's time has expired. Mr. Chairman, can I uh, for, unanimous consent? For technical reasons, the committee will stand in recess for 10 minutes. Mr. Chairman. Yeah. <clears throat> See, that he didn't like. So they cut it off. They never like to he they never like people to hear what's really going on. Because then that's a problem. People wake up and they realize that what they think is happening is not happening. You can't let that go, right? You can't. Now, just so you can see, there are now COVID spikes happening post-vaccination. We saw that uh, the makers of the bio and tech vaccines say that it does not provide immunity and it's not safe enough to get approval. So we're still working on EUA, um, e EAU. My gosh, I always say EUA. Um, and there's going to be more coming. They have to do it. They have to. They know they lose. They know it's coming. And with the courts demanding paper ballots, they need to stop it. So I also want to draw your attention to something that's weird. And I want you to think about it. This is just a sit and think question. Tomorrow I will be traveling, therefore no show manana, right? But I will stream on locals where I am. Um, because that's the only thing I could do on a mobile. I can't stream to like uh, Telegram for some reason because then it deletes uh, from my phone and I can't do it to Rumble because it's just, it's not happening on my phone. Anyway, um, think of it this way. When in history have you seen a war happen? We had Iraq, right? We had Afghanistan. We had all these wars. When did you ever see companies constantly ask you to donate to the war? When had you ever seen consumer companies ask you to donate money for the war, right? When have you ever seen that happen? Absolutely never. So the question you should ask yourself is, where's this money going to? The next time you see a consumer saying that they're raising money for Ukraine, find out where exactly this money is going to and drop it in the telegram room. I want you to see where the money is going to. Pay attention, then you will see why would they need money? Who needs this money? Who are they raising for? And are they registered as a charity to ask for that money? These are the questions you need to ask yourself. Oh, war, war. Okay. So why is like Wendy's and fucking supermarkets and your bank and all these people asking you for money? Where's it going? Where's it going that our money is being requested to give to someone who's getting this money? Think. It's very easy to find out who. Because if you go to Target and they're like, would you like to donate to the Ukraine fund? Be like, can I get details on that Ukraine? Yeah, sorry, we don't do it. You call Target up and you're like, hey, I'd like to know what fund this is going to. I'd like the paperwork on that shit. And then you guys all get into your AGs and say, what the, who is this company and why are they soliciting money in my state? Where's this money going to? Boom, boom, boom. Ask the question. Where's it going to? Where's it going to? Where's it going to? Where's it going to? 
And we're not talking about the 7-Eleven and, you know, uh, gas station jars that they have on the side for idiots that will just drop a dollar and you know it's going to the attendant, right? Uh, these are questions you need to ask. Who is getting this money? Because the question is, who is getting this money? That's all. That's the question you should be asking. That's the only question you should be asking. Once you start asking questions, it is so easy to see how everything falls apart. Every single thing. Now, on that note, I want to wish you guys a fantastic evening. I want you guys to pray. I I asked if you guys would pray for me too because um, I'm really struggling. Now, I thought we can listen to a song that praises God. But you never knew that until you knew what the words meant. Here we go. Good night. Against this mountainside, across the sea into my soul, it reaches into where I cannot hide, setting my feet upon the road. Memories. My body burns into like flame. Somewhere between the soul and soft machine, it's where I find myself again. Young, I thought of growing old And what my life would mean to be But I have followed down my chosen road I only wished what I could be Till the end of the day So down the road that I must travel Of the night.